0: Great. Thanks to everyone at CIMC for hosting this and bringing us all together this evening. Uh, Again, it's a real pleasure to be here uh, with all of you. Um, I want to start by just inviting you to share uh, one word in the chat about how you're doing today. Just if you had to sum it all up in one word, the chat's open. Just drop a word in there. Love to hear where everyone's at and invite you to take a look and see what's happening for folks. and I'll just read a few things out. Centered, sleepy, tender, anxious, tired, crabby, exhausted, tired, uh, fluid, sleepy, open, content, relaxed, grateful, tired, frazzled, distracted, mixed, numb, tender, tired, overwhelmed, peaceful, curious, uh, rough, tense, Grateful, exhausted, scattered. Yeah, whole, whole range, a whole range of uh, things, right? And um, kind of clustering around centered, grateful, um, scattered, tired, exhausted. Yeah, so interesting times that we're living in. Um, really common, I think, for many of us to feel exhausted, to feel tired to have a sense of fatigue. Um, The last couple of years I know have felt um, a little bit like being pummeled for a lot of us from the pandemic um, to everything happening in the political world, um, not just here in the U.S., around the world, the kind of extremism and polarization that's occurring, the economic uncertainty and inflation here in the U.S., Um, Also here in the U.S., there's been uh, ongoing gun violence, particularly the last two weeks, a number of mass shootings. So it's natural to feel tired, to feel worn down. Um, And when we're tired, of course, the most natural thing to do is to rest uh, when we're tired physically, when we're tired emotionally. Um, And I think because of everything we've been living through, there is this sort of collective need for rest to rejuvenate to handle the challenges and the crises um, that are ongoing in our world so we talked about in the meditation that we just did um, in contemplative practice how sort of returning to and cultivating a state of calm of ease of relaxation um, is an essential foundation for contemplative practice. It helps us to renew our spirit, to refresh our mind and body. Um, It's uh, a baseline for the development of deeper states of concentration and insight. Um, And so the the whole sort of realm of contemplative practice in many ways is um, supported by this essential factor of tranquility or calm, a certain quality of rest And as I was pointing to in the meditation, it's not the whole picture, right? But it's one essential ingredient. If we can't rest, if we can't return to a a place of non-doing, of ease and simplicity, it's very difficult to make progress in other areas, to look deeply into our experience, to cultivate insight, to develop other qualities. So it's really a foundation, for our contemplative practice and an essential component of being a healthy human being and engaged citizen, because if we can't rest, we burn out and we can't contribute. So this evening, I wanna talk a little bit about what gets in the way of being able to rest, how do we engage with those obstacles um, and hopefully offer some practical tips on cultivating a different relationship with doing and finding more rest Uh, in our lives. So I want to define rest. I want to start by just having a shared definition, Um, physiologically, mentally, emotionally. uh, Rest is defined as the ending or ceasing of some strenuous or stressful activity. It was the end of something that's taking a lot of energy. Another way of looking at rest is just a state of relaxation or even sleep that provides a kind of recharging or rejuvenation. And of course there's like a whole range of reasons why it might be hard for us to rest, to, to find a, a rhythm of, of ceasing, of taking a break from strenuous activity or of accessing this quality of relaxation and ease. There are many currents in our society and world today, I think, on a collective level that make it harder to rest. So just the sheer pace and demands of modern life make it hard to disengage. Every day we're bombarded with advertisements, uh, the notifications through technology, just interfacing with our devices kind of tunes our whole nervous system to a certain state of tension and subtle anxiety. Um, We are continually trained by the media and advertising and technology to seek relief from discomfort, not through rest, but through distraction and entertainment. Um, So the sort of whole gestalt or zeitgeist of modern society is kind of being over-caffeinated and under-resourced. So this is the sea that we're swimming in, right? So one of the things I've been talking about um, on social media recently is, you know, how in a world that's addicted to busyness, distraction, accomplishment, actually disengaging and resting is a really radical act. So there's this whole aspect of the world today that I think makes it challenging or can make it challenging to rest. Um, then there's, of course, the sort of just practical and literal challenges of not having enough time, right? Whether you're raising a family, working two or three jobs, um, the kind of way the structure of, structures of our society, um, particularly here in the US, kind of have stripped away the social safety net where there's this tremendous economic pressure on us as individuals uh, that makes it harder to literally have the time and the resources to access downtime and and rest. This is another, another aspect of our collective picture that can interfere with our capacity to access a kind of natural slowing down and resting. I think together with that, there's the dominant culture in the West has this intense focus on productivity. So we are kind of, I don't want to say brainwashed, you know, but we receive this continual messaging that rest is self-indulgent or lazy and that, um, the mark of a healthy individual is productivity. So there's this, there can be this underlying um, resistance to rest based on those messages that we receive. There's a, a wonderful cartoon by um, Michael Lunig. Um, he has this whole world of these um, two cartoon characters that are corresponding with one another. Um, one is named Vasco Pajama a little play on the explorer Vasco da Gama um, and Mr. Curley. And so uh, this is um, Vasco Pajama writing back, uh, or Mr. Curley writing back to Vasco. In answer to your question about what is worth doing and what is worth having, so kind of a profound question, right? What is worth doing in life? What is worth having? In answer to your question about what's worth doing and what's worth having, I would like to simply answer that it is worth doing nothing and having a rest. So just notice the juxtaposition of that with all of the messages we receive every day about what's worth doing and what's worth having. So together with that, the dominant culture has this kind of way of equating our self-worth with accumulation and worldly success. So when we take that message in unconsciously, we can get caught in this cycle of continually seeking validation, belonging, approval, the sense of being okay or love by always doing more. And that makes it really hard to rest when our very sense of self-worth and our place in the world is dependent on what we can accomplish, how much we can do, how well we perform. It becomes very hard to give ourselves permission to disengage from that. So just as I go through this list of all these different factors that might make it challenging to rest, you know, listen and see what Which ones do you notice in yourself? Which ones light up as you hear them? Another uh, area that I think can be very common that makes it hard for us to rest um, is a tendency to want to avoid unpleasant emotions or painful experiences. If we were to slow down and rest, we might have to feel what's there. So there's a way we can get in the habit of keeping busy, always doing things to avoid feeling the grief, the pain of our personal losses or our collective losses. So this too can make it challenging to rest. And For me, uh, in my personal life, Um, my coping mechanism was keeping busy. So I've talked a little bit in different uh, places, often on retreats, about um, growing up with a mentally ill family member. And um, when that first arose in my childhood, I was about nine or 10. And my way of dealing with the sort of emotional chaos um, and intensity of what was happening in my family was to get really focused. So to keep busy with school Um, at the time, I was really interested in drama and acting. So I put a lot of energy into acting and going to auditions. Um, And that was my way of avoiding what I was feeling because it was too overwhelming. And what was interesting was um, that those personal factors fed right into uh, my social conditioning so all of the messaging that i received as a young white jewish male um, was to achieve to excel to do more so i was continually i was getting this continual mirroring and encouragement from the world around me my family my school our synagogue um, that my value as a human being was through what i could do my performance how well i did in school um, the, the number of clubs I was in. And so the, the personal aspects of my family and the social aspects fed on one another to, um, this very deeply rooted habit of keeping busy to avoid feeling what was happening. And so today, you know, some 35 years later, (laughs) having done a lot of meditation and therapy and trauma healing and had, you know, the opportunity to actually have access to those kinds of healing experiences. I've worked through a lot of the trauma, a lot of the emotions. Um, But what's interesting is that even though I've resolved a lot of um, the emotional pain from that time, the loss, the grief, the anger, that habit energy is still there. That patterning of of staying busy um, is so strong that if I'm not conscious, if I'm not attentive, it can take over. So there's a need for me in my own life, my own practice, to sort of consciously check that momentum of always moving on to the next thing, staying busy, keeping engaged, and actually setting aside time, not just for spiritual practice, um, but to not do anything, to go take a walk, to just enjoy the weather, play with my cat, to do things that are nourishing and restful. So how do we step outside of um, the frenzy of activity? Whatever the factors are for each of us that may be feeding that personal or social, how do we reclaim our innate need to rest? And how do we deal with some of the challenges and pressures that might get in the way of that, some of which are very real and concrete that are not just say emotional or psychological. I think for me, one of the key places to start is really getting clear about what rest isn't and challenging some of the ideas or notions we may have internalized from our family, uh, our culture, the media or religious messaging. So rest isn't about being self-indulgent or lazy. Uh, It's not about collapsing um, or always choosing what's easy. Uh, It's about finding balance. It's about learning to honor our natural limits. I believe that part of what makes us human is that we have a deep need to contribute to life, to contribute to others, to find a sense of meaning and purpose. And in today's world, there is no shortage of opportunities to help and contribute. But of course we need to balance that energy that's going out with allowing energy to come in, with receiving and resting, Otherwise, we burn out and we grow resentful. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the Christian mystic Thomas Merton. There's a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist fighting for peace by nonviolent methods most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form perhaps the most common form of its innate violence to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. More than that, it is cooperation in violence. The frenzy of the activist neutralizes one's work for peace. It destroys one's own inner capacity for peace. There's so many urgent problems in our world, whether we're looking at the intersection of racial justice and climate justice, whether we're looking at Reproductive rights, gun control, economic uh, inequality. It's, it's easy to feel pulled in all directions and to feel like everything is urgent. And yet our capacity to really contribute and to embody the kind of transformation and peace and, and equity and, and love and belonging that we might envision for our world. We lose that, it becomes destroyed inside if we don't allow ourselves to rest, if we don't find this balance of outgoing energy and incoming energy. So reclaiming our need for rest starts, I think, by recognizing the value and the need for rest. And and returning to the sense that it's the most natural thing in the world. Everything in nature operates through cycles of activity and rest. The day and the night, the seasons, the phases of the moon and the tides. We look at our own body and mind and we see we breathe in, we breathe out. We receive and we give. There's a famous Zen Um, saying, chop wood and carry water. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm tired, I sleep. It's the most natural thing to do in the world for our creature body to rest when we're tired. So we're trying to, to reclaim something that is innate, that we have become disconnected from, that we've learned through the the unnatural pace of modern society to override, having lights on in the evening, looking at screens and TVs late into the night, Um, pushing through our tiredness and I have to answer another 10 emails, not taking breaks for meals, sitting too long, not standing up when our body wants to. We become numb oftentimes to the signals for the need for rest and movement and play. So it's not so much um, needing to create something new, but actually starting to, to awaken the sensitivities that are there already in our body and learning to honor those, learning to come back into balance with those natural rhythms. Some of that, of course, is about questioning the messages and the assumptions that we've internalized from the dominant society and culture and starting to reclaim our own sense of innate value and dignity and self-worth so that our work, our service, our contributions in the world aren't coming from... Um, this kind of codependent place of seeking approval or love or belonging. Like if I just did enough, finally, I would be, okay, they'll see me, they'll love me. And this is, this is one of the uh, developments of contemplative practice through loving kindness, through gratitude, through the simplicity of just being rediscovering an innate sense of wholeness that we're enough just as we are, just by being born, just by making it onto the planet. Each creature has a certain kind of dignity and sovereignty and belonging, being intimately connected to everything. The more we start to touch into that sense of innate wholeness, then our work, our service, our volunteering, our contributions to our family, our community, even taking care of ourselves, can start to come not from needing something back, but from a deep and innate desire to contribute, from a, a natural movement of generosity and compassion in the heart to help. So this is one uh, sort of trajectory or, or a few that I've touched on, the sense of um, resensitizing our body to our need for rest, Um, reclaiming our own sense of wholeness and belonging so that our work and engagement can be more balanced. And then the invitation to really give ourselves permission to rest, what would it be like to allow yourself to rest? And so, of course, this this starts with sort of the most fundamental physiological level of eating well, getting enough exercise and sleep. And then that starts to translate into the psychological and emotional realms. What would it be like to not have to make every single moment of the day productive? To not always need to have a purpose or be working on something? as we were exploring in the meditation to just allow ourselves to do nothing. So in contemplative practice, as we explored in the meditation, this is often one of the first uh, capacities to develop is the skill to just be still and quiet without trying to get something or accomplish something. Rediscovering our value for being in and of itself rather than doing. That then becomes a foundation that eventually becomes integrated and balanced with wholehearted effort. So it's not that there isn't something to do in spiritual practice. Freeing the heart and the mind actually takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, but it's balanced energy. It's not a kind of pushing or straining or forcing. So we have to unlearn that habit first and reclaim this sense of ease, a kind of wholeness and dignity of just being. And then from that place of wholeness, engaging in a more sustainable and wholehearted effort. As I was... um, thinking about our session today and doing some writing. Uh, I think Nicholas mentioned I'm working on a new book and um, it's a collection of reflections on different qualities. And so one of the chapters is on rest. Uh, I was reflecting on the the word rest and that um, a rest in musical notation is an interval of silence. It's, It's actually You know, in musical notation, there's a rest and it's this pause for a specific amount of time between the music, between the notes. And it's a lovely metaphor um, for how we can start to access rest in our days. Can we integrate periods of silence, of non doing? into the rhythm of our day, into the rhythm of our week, into the rhythm of our life. So in uh, in nature, we see this as I referred to earlier, in agriculture, right? Uh, a field needs to rest periodically. Right? You leave, you let the land be fallow for a season in order for the nutrients in the soil to regenerate. So this, this rhythm this balance of activity and rest, it's enshrined in the Abrahamic religious traditions and Judaism and then Islam and Christianity after through the Sabbath. So in in Hebrew, the word Shabbat comes from um, the, the root Shevet, which literally means to sit or to rest. And in uh in the jewish tradition the the Sabbath the Shabbat is not only a period of rest but it's also a doorway it's also um kind of like a portal to the mystical realm from the world of doing to the world of being um This is a quote from uh abraham joshua heschel's wonderful um book on the Sabbath he writes six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. We are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. On Shabbat, we stop and turn to care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. It's beautiful, isn't it? So for more than 5,000 years in the Jewish tradition, one day a week is devoted to rest and, and to that shift in attention that we practice in the dharma from the world of doing to the world of being, from the objects and activities of the world to the origin of that in the heart and the mind. So can we begin to attune ourselves to these cycles of activity and rest to start to track this this natural rhythm of things in our day-to-day life? So notice when you finish a task, What happens next? Do you, boom, rush off to the next thing after you finish doing the dishes or eating a meal or folding the laundry? Is the mind already one step ahead, tumbling forward into the next thing? Or is there the capacity to allow the completion of that activity? It's like, the dishes are done and to just land there for a moment to appreciate the completion of that outflow of energy and rest. It doesn't need to be a long rest, just enough time for your nervous system to actually receive uh, the nourishment of that sense of completion. So we can pause for a moment Breathe, appreciate what's been completed. So this is one way to start to integrate rest into our day, into our life, without needing to have lots and lots of time. After you send an email, just let there be a moment. That's done. Notice the ending of the task and allow allow that to really register in your heart. So let's let's explore this some more. Let's explore what are some ways um, to integrate rest, to have and find rest um, in our life. So we've talked about the kind of the foundation of just taking care of our body, right? Um, eating well, exercising, getting enough sleep, um, Talked about contemplative practice as um, uh, starting from this foundation of cultivating rest, of um, non-doing, simplifying. Talked about the rhythm of activity and rest in the course of a day. Um, We can start to look at that also in larger arcs. So, of course, there's a tradition of of literally having a Sabbath. Um, uh, Some of my colleagues I know will maybe take, doesn't need to be on the Sabbath. So um, just having a period of your week, whether it's a whole day, a half a day, where you're not doing. So I know um, many people enjoy having, um, practicing a technology fast. So not engaging with devices for a period of 24 hours or half a day as a way of returning to the natural rhythms of things coming back into um, sense of orientation connection with nature in Dharma communities is very common to if we can if the circumstances of our life allow it um, going on a retreat once a year, whether it's for a weekend, for a week, or sometimes longer. Um, but looking at a larger arc of time, whether it's a month, a year, um, and seeing where are there periods w- where we can disengage from the churn and actually give our mind and body a period of downtime. I know that uh, sleep is um, often a challenge for for many people uh, in our world today. I myself have had insomnia on and off for many years for different reasons, sometimes medical, sometimes more kind of emotional, psychological. Um, Happen to be in a good phase right now or I'm sleeping like a champ. which is going to change shortly. Some some of you who uh, we practice together regularly know my wife and I um, are expecting a child in the fall. So I'm expecting uh, to not have much sleep um, for a period of time. So I'm kind of banking as much as I can right now. Um, But if you do have trouble sleeping, if you're kind of the need for rest is on that sort of very primary physiological level, um, there are things we can do to support that. And I wanted to just touch into that a little bit. Um, so one of the one of the most fundamental things to start to look at um, with sleep disturbance, um, of course, there's a need to look at it medically and physiologically. And I'm not qualified to speak to that, but just checking to make sure that um, you don't have any, you know, nutrient deficiencies, and that you're. Pituitary gland and the HPA axis are all functioning properly. All of that's really important if there's sleep disturbance, just checking things out medically. On a more sort of spiritual, psychological, emotional level, um, look at how you're using your mind during the day. What's the quality of your attention during the day? You know, are we kind of continually getting dosed with cortisol and running on agitation, worry, anxiety? Um, Are we moving through the day with a certain quality of rushing or straining? If so, those habit energies, um, including the the literal hormones that are coursing through our body, are going to carry over into the night. So one of the primary ways to start to have deeper rest, more quality rest at night is to start to look at how can we have more balanced effort and energy during the day? Not necessarily needing to do less, although that can help if we have the option to do that, but looking at our relationship with how we are doing activities. So to see, can we bring a more even and steady kind of energy and attention to activities. And some of that is about this kind of cycle that I was talking about before, right, of allowing things to end, noticing those those pauses and gaps between things. But it also involves how we are engaging in an activity. So in preparing for uh, parenthood, I've been starting to bring a lot more attention to things like how I do the dishes, how I fold the laundry, like there's going to be a lot more of that. Um, because what I, what I notice in myself is if I'm not paying attention, doing something like cleaning the kitchen, doing dishes after a meal, um, beca- it, the default is for that to be get through it as quickly as possible to get to the next thing. Right. So, what happens when that activity becomes an opportunity for presence and ease? So, just doing the dishes, just giving wholehearted attention there. It doesn't necessarily mean slowing down the pace, but it means um, disengaging a certain quality of tension. So, when we're rushing, when we're trying to get through something as quickly as possible to get to the next thing, pay attention to how that feels in your body. For me, there's a quality of tension and a certain kind of tumbling forward. I'm not actually fully seated in this moment because I'm trying to get to the next moment. And that's exhausting. That's draining. So one of the things we can learn to do um, through our our spiritual practice is how to be fully engaged, but deeply present and centered. So I can move quickly. I can be washing the dishes with a lot of focus and efficiency, but not be rushing, not be straining. And then the activity can actually start to become nourishing because In doing it in that way, I'm practicing a certain kind of wholeheartedness and presence. All of my attention is there with the dishes, with the water, with the movement. So coming back to sleep, if we're able to bring this kind of single-minded, wholehearted attention to whatever the tasks of our day are, When we come to the end of the day, our mind isn't scattered and pulled in a million directions. We're not still tumbling forward because we've been practicing all day just being here, just attending to what's in front of me, which doesn't necessarily mean going slowly. We can still be very efficient and effective in moving quickly, but we're doing it with a kind of um, cohesion of mind and body. So this is a really essential skill um, to develop that can benefit our sleep as well as a lot of other things. Um, And then of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention while we're on sleep and rest, things like having good sleep hygiene, right? So I'm sure all of you know this already, but it's just just to be sure to include it of having a period of time to wind down at the end of the evening not looking at screens for at least an hour before bed, giving yourself time to put things down so that when we do go to sleep, there's been a sort of a buffer between the day and sleep. So another uh, challenge with uh, finding enough rest um, that I referred to earlier um, is literally not having enough time. So whether it's work, parenthood, economic pressure. Um, Sometimes the day is too full, the week is too full. And um, whether it's not having periods during our day or week for downtime, um, or literally finding the number of hours we have to sleep getting shaved off at either end because of the number of responsibilities and commitments we have in our life. Um, There's still ways to integrate rest into into our day um so short moments so being able to find um between things just a moment to breathe just a moment to notice the quality of light coming through the window you know when you're when you're drinking liquids and eating um, Giving yourself at least a few moments of that period to really be present. So again, I'm I'm wanting to acknowledge the reality of some of our lives. Hopefully not all the time, but I think we all go through periods where you know we're working and eating at the same time, right? If you're on a deadline, you're juggling a lot, right? You're you're multitasking. So if that's the reality, and I think it's worth. I think it's worth taking the time to really check, is that the reality? Like, how much are we operating on habit or forcing ourselves to meet unrealistic expectations? I know for myself, a lot of the time, when I think that's what's happening, it's it's not. It's self-imposed. Right. I've taken on more than I need to. I could, for example, you know, reach out to someone and say, hey, I'm not going to get that to you on time. It's going to be next Monday. Right. Or I'm doing things to a standard that others aren't necessarily holding me to, that I'm holding myself to. Right. And if I were to dial that standard back a little bit, all of a sudden I have more time. So as I start to talk about some of these other strategies for finding rest when we are really busy and don't have time. I wanna make sure I'm also acknowledging um, or, or really encouraging all of us to check and see how much, of, how much of that sense of being busy and not having time is real and how much of it is self-imposed and are there areas where we have choice? Where we can dial things back, where we can let go of something, where we can um, lower our expectations or standards in order to have more balance. Yeah. So, in the times where um, that's not possible, uh, we're on a deadline, we're not willing to make those sacrifices. what are the ways that we can integrate short moments of presence and rest? So I was talking about meals. So if you're gonna multitask and do work during a meal, give yourself at least the first three bites or five bites to just be present with the food, right? To just enjoy the taste when you're drinking water or coffee or tea. Um, Give yourself that nourishment of being fully present for at least the beginning of it. So as you find small ways to have moments of presence during your day, brushing your teeth, going to the bathroom, drinking a glass of water, getting up from your desk if you have a desk job, and stretching for 30 seconds or a minute, Punctuating the day with these brief moments of connection and presence can be deeply restful. It can be enough to um, break up any strain and intensity of the work so that when you get to the end of the day, you're not just destroyed right, from this kind of perpetual nonstop pressure all day long this takes discipline. It takes um, a certain commitment to acknowledging and recognizing the pattern that's in place and a desire to shift it. Um, It takes mindfulness because we have to remember to integrate these pauses, to find those moments. Um, And I think it takes a certain a certain kind of tenderness and um, relationship of love with ourself. Going back to that Thomas Merton quote, there's this kind of violence we do to ourselves when we override again and again and again, our limits and our needs. And so one of the antidotes to that that I've found in my own practice is cultivating a relationship with my own heart and my own body of love and tenderness where I'm not willing to override anymore. You know, just like you wouldn't force a friend to keep pushing past a certain point just out of compassion. The more we can cultivate a relationship of tenderness and love with ourself, the, the harder it becomes to keep overriding those signals. So the last um, area I want to talk about is, um, is burnout sometimes it's hard to rest because we're so tired. It's kind of ironic, but when there's this, this kind of very deep exhaustion, um, it can feel, one of the things that can happen is we don't allow ourselves to rest because we're afraid that if we do, we'll kind of collapse and never get up again. Um, the other thing that can happen is we allow ourselves to rest, but we're unable to because we're so exhausted. It's like we've we've kind of passed some threshold, and and the well just isn't filling up anymore. Um, so this is challenging, you know. When and these are signs of burnout. These are signs of of a kind of a level of exhaustion that is from. Uh, repeated or chronic stress. So many healthcare workers through the pandemic, um, parents who have been you know, dealing with kids at home through the pandemic and working at home, um, frontline workers, uh, very, very common to have this kind of burnout. So sometimes we just need more time the, the body will begin to recuperate and recover, but uh, it needs more space and time. Um, sometime there's a, cert- there's a certain kind of like um, input of uh, nourishment that's needed. You know, it's like um, when, the, when the ground is, is really, really dry, if there's a a strong rain, the water actually doesn't soak in. It just runs off because the soil is too, um, too hard. And, And so what's needed is this kind of like a light rain first to just slowly start to seep into the soil for the soil to start to regain its capacity to absorb and hold moisture. And so it's like that with our heart and our body. Sometimes when we're so bone tired and exhausted, we can't actually take in the nourishment of rest. Um, We might need more like shorter periods. So to actually have activity and to just have a little bit of downtime or to start to consciously introduce things that are soothing, that are nourishing for us and finding what is that for you, whether it's music uh, or art or good conversation or comfort food, but what is that for you? That's the equivalent of that very gentle light rain that just starts to be able to penetrate the soil and soak in so that that capacity to receive and hold moisture starts to um, open up again. Another tool for working with this kind of burnout and deep exhaustion is um, using the nervous system to, uh, working with the nervous system to start to um, reawaken the, the cycles, the natural cycles of activity and rest, right? So when our nervous system is functioning in a healthy way, there's this up and down. There's, we breathe in and we breathe out. We have a period of work and then we rest. We're busy during the day and then we sleep at night, right? That's a very kind of natural cycle of our nervous system. It's how the body, human body and mammals are designed. Um, so when that gets dysregulated from trauma, from burnout, um, we need to reacquaint the nervous system with that rhythm. Um, one of the analogies I like to use for those who live in colder climates, whether it's on the East Coast or other parts of the world, is if your car gets stuck in the snow and you just put the, you just give it gas, your wheels are going to spin. You're not going to go anywhere, right? So, those of us who drive in snow know what you have to do. You have to give a little gas, and then you take your foot off the gas, and you give a little more gas, and you take your foot off the gas. You kind of have to rock the car out of the rut. And so the same thing can be true for our nervous system when we're deeply exhausted. Um, We have to kind of rock ourselves out of that state. So what does that mean? Um, Finding a way to bring rhythm in. And so it depends on where you're starting from. If you're starting from a state of collapse where you're just flat out exhausted, can't get out of bed, can't do anything. Just like wiggle your toes. (laughs) You know, wiggle your toes and your fingers and then rest. And then kind of like wiggle your toes and your ankles again and then rest. So just Where can you bring in a little bit of rhythm or have a short conversation with someone and then rest and then have another little, little conversation and then rest? That back and forth can start to reawaken the natural ability of the body to have energy and rest. If you're starting from the other side where... You're in that kind of like running on fumes, can't slow down, too tired to rest, too tired to stop. Um, Give yourself, start to introduce a little bit of rest here and there, just to just close your eyes for one breath, and then go back to to the to the to the to the busyness or what's happening. You know, give yourself two minutes to stare out the window and then come back to the busyness. So you get the idea of introducing something different to start to have what's called in trauma healing, this pendulation, this back and forth to reintroduce the cycle and and almost like jumpstart the the capacity again to have a deeper quality of rest. So the more we can do this, um, it starts to reawaken something. When we are able to access rest and downtime, it's a precursor for joy, for creativity, for vitality. Think about how it feels when you've had a good night's sleep. Right out of a state of rest comes renewed energy, um, vitality, a capacity for delight, and that start. And in spiritual practice, it starts to open the heart and consciousness for um, insight new perspectives ways of experiencing the world other ways of being so this is essential for us as human beings to to thrive in our world so that was the bulk of what i wanted to share tonight Um, i hope it's been useful Um, anything that isn't helpful just leave it aside and what speaks to you please Uh, take it and integrate it. So let's just end with a moment of quiet together and uh, offer the goodness of our time to one another and uh, all those who are in need right now. So just inviting you to sit quietly, to turn your attention inwards for a moment, feel your heart, appreciating one another in this period of exploration learning. May any benefits, insight, healing from our time together be in the service of the safety, the freedom and the liberation of all creatures everywhere. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care of yourself. Honor your need for rest and uh, hope to see you again Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.